going to frame the first Kings text with a verse out of the out of the, the Gospels, and I'm going to read this text to you. This is a, a, the parable of the two sons. Now, lots of us know of a parable of two sons, but this is the one that Jesus told after his triumphal entry, after he cleared the temple. After he cursed the fig tree, which was the national symbol of Israel, and and then the Pharisees come to him and they say, by what authority do you do these things? And he says, well, let me ask you a question first. Who was John the Baptist? And they say, well, if if we say he was from God, then he'll say, why didn't you listen to him? And if we say he wasn't, he was just a man, then the crowd will kill us because they loved him. So we'll say we don't know. And this is the next thing after Jesus says, well, because you won't answer the question, I'm not going to tell you either. And this is the next piece of that puzzle. So he says to the Pharisees, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But later changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same thing. And and that son answered, I will go, sir. But did not. Which of these two did the will of the father? Well, the Pharisees said the first. Jesus said to them, then truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. (coughs) For John came to you in a way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and follow. So so you're saying, that's a tough text. I want you to know that that, uh, obedience in other people is really hard to discern. What is true obedience and what is not when you're looking at somebody else. And so this morning, as uh, you listen in on me preaching at myself, maybe you can discern your own obedience in that way. And so as we listen to this story, there's a line in here that I'm going to, just just as a disclaimer, I am not going to read all 47 verses of uh, 1 Kings 22 today. Everybody's happy. I'm going to read part of it, and I'm going to skip, and I'm going to read another part of it. But I want to get to this spot. There's this line in here. The people are like a sheep without a shepherd. The people are without a sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever been like a person without a leader? Have you ever been up a creek without a paddle? Have you ever been lost? Have you ever been stuck someplace, and you wonder, how did I get here? You, at that moment, were a sheep, were sheep without a shepherd. And so I want to, I want to, how many, I want you to start thinking about how many decisions, because I know in my own life, and I'll use this example this way, some of you know this, you know, I've, I've had five leg surgeries, and not one for quite some time, but the first one was just out of high school, and, um, and then I went to see a doctor last year to see if I could have my knee replaced, and they said, well, you know, everything's pretty good in there. 
you know, but uh, the pain's not causing any damage. So you're really on your own here. So if you just go and it starts to hurt, just stop. You're on your own. You can do whatever you feel like doing. And I looked at him and said, that's how I got here. I just did as long as I could and I kept going as long as I wanted to and I pushed because, you know, you, you've seen football games where somebody has a catastrophic knee injury or something like that. You know what question I ask? How many injuries were ignored before that one? Because that's how I got there. Now, with that sort of set in motion, let's read about Jehoshaphat and Ahab. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. And then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. And during the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram? Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. And then Jehoshaphat added, But first... Let us ask what the Lord says. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them, and asked, Should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or should I hold back? And they all replied, Yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked this question, Is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? Not just a prophet we should ask him the same question. And the king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, There is one more man who could con we could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, That's not the way a king should talk. That's interesting, isn't it? I, I don't like his opinion, so I'm not asking it. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of the officials and said, Quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king of Ahab of Israel and the king of Jehoshaphat of Judah were dressed in their royal robes, were sitting in the thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria, and all of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Kenanah. Okay, you've all heard my secret for pronouncing Old Testament words, right? Pretend you know what you're doing and go. <laughs> I, I, the best rule I have is if you've been to Hawaii and you pronounce every vowel, this is kind of the way you should go. And he made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, but with these horns, you will gore the Arameans to death. And all the other prophets agreed, yes, go to Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said, look, all the prophets are promising victory. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success. But Micaiah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, I can only say what the Lord tells me to say. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? And Micaiah replied sarcastically, yes, go up and be victorious, for the Lord will surely give the king victory. 
But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak of the Lord? Really, Ahab says this. He knows the sarcasms in the mouth of the other, and I, and I find this is one of those spots. This is like, this is like that moment where people speak better than they know. When when the chief priest says of Jesus, oh, it's better for the nation for one to die than the whole nation to perish. He's speaking better than he knows. Then Micaiah told him, in a vision I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord said, their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Did I tell you the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything good for me. Now there's some other stuff here I'm going to skip up a little bit for. This is to the battle. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. Can we pause for a second? If you're Ahab and you ask somebody to ask the Lord for you something, and he says something sarcastic, which everybody's saying, and you say, well, I know that's not what the Lord said. Tell me the truth. And he says, the king's going to be killed. What do you do? do you, does that give you a moment of pause before you go to battle? Okay, so this is what he does. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, as we go into battle, I will disguise myself so that no one will recognize me. But you go ahead and you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel described and disguised himself, and then they went into battle. Meanwhile, not known to them, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his 32 chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. And so when the Aramean chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. That's the king of Israel. That they shouted, and when Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat called out, the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, and they stopped chasing him. An Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit the king of Israel in the joints between his armor. Not, not this, but here. And he says, turn the horses and get me out of here. And he had groaned to the driver, I am badly wounded. The battle raged all day, and the king remained propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans, and the blood from his wound ran down onto the floor of his chariot, and as the evening arrived, he died. Just as the sun was setting, the cry ran out from his troops, We're done for. Run for your lives. A sheep with... How does... Let me start that again. How does a sheep end up without a shepherd? You know, they start out with shepherds, don't they? Don't, aren't they born somewhere normally, as, as my daughter would say, as she helped with lambing in St. John, she, she learned lots of things about um, lambing when she was doing this, because she was helping with somebody that has, what do they have, 400 ewes or something like that. And, you know, sheep die really easily and they need help. And she had never heard of the dead pile with the sheep, that there was hundreds, there was lots of them, but they had hundreds of ewes. But sheep are born with a shepherd, right? Isn't that the story of our Christianity, that we are born when we meet the shepherd? 
These sheep now, they're scattered. They're without a shepherd. They're up a creek without a paddle. How do you get up the creek in the first place without your paddle? You're going against the current, so you've at least had a paddle for part of the trip. Or you've, or you've portaged your boat. You've done some work. How many chances does it take just to not turn back? How many reset buttons do you go through to end up to walk away, to lose your shepherd in this? And this is really what we're talking about here, I think, for us or for me. I want to make sure that as, as God's sheep, one of his sheep or lambs, that I don't walk away from him and somehow find myself without a shepherd. Now I know that I'm holding intention in this, in this comment, this one thing that nobody can snatch me out of his hand. Right? You can't be, you can't be drug out of Jesus' hand against your will. But is it possible for you to just kind of go off in a corner and, and pretty soon stop listening and walk away and become a person without a shepherd? Because you gave the shepherd up. So here's, here's what he does. He hears the word of the Lord that he's going to be killed, but he starts disguising himself. Who do you think you're fooling? Who does he think he's fooling? Does he think he's fooling God? He's going to get away with it. God's not going to recognize him without his royal robes on there's a random arrow shot into the troops. How many times do we sort of disguise our behaviors in this way, where we're, we're kind of going down a bad road and we're doing a behavior that we know is not very good, but, you know, it'll be all worth it in the end. I'll enjoy, I'll have a new experience. That's sort of an American methodology right there. You know, one of the new commercials out right now says, Instead of buying a home and securing our future, we're working on memories. Right? We just want a bunch of experiences. That's kind of the American ethic at the moment. But, but how do we get to the spot where we have a behavior and we say, well, you know, um, and, I'm not, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular here, but maybe you smoke, but it feels good. Or maybe you drink and it's really enjoyable to lose control for a little bit. And you disguise that by saying, well, it's all right. Or you quit reading your Bible because you didn't understand part of it. And, and, and besides that, the newest novel is better. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going? You sort of disguise your behavior. So, well, I'm a better reader this way, and this is more interesting. Or... It's all right, it's just for tonight. Are you fooling yourself? Because you're not fooling God. Have you ever willfully fooled yourself? I know I have. This is the reason why I told you about my leg surgeries. I willfully fooled myself into believing that the doctor was absolutely wrong. I did not actually need four weeks for that to heal. Two would be just fine. It felt better. <laughs> right? So, as you listen to me, remember that I'm talking to me too. We're human. 
we do this. The reason we do this is we're not fully human yet. The life that God pours into us is what makes us fully human. And when we disguise ourselves and walk away from that, we start to say, well, no, I've had enough today. That's all the new life I really need at the moment. So the prophets were consulted, but not God. How many experts do you use in your life to make sure that you get the right opinion in there? I was asked this opinion just recently regarding uh, biblical authority. Okay. Do you remember my answer, what I told you, Martine? The reason why I don't accept the pseudopigrapha, that's a big word, isn't it? You like that big word? Pseudopigrapha. It's the books written afterwards by people that, that they're not sure if they actually have the author's names. They call them the Infantile Gospel of Mary, uh, the Gospel of Judas. But they're the second century, first century, second century, third century writings, sometimes fourth century writings that, that are written under a pseudonym. The pseudepigrapha. Why don't you just add those in? Because there's quite a bit of pressure denominationally to read those things and have them affect me. And, and, and it's not that I disagree with them, I've read them. But the reason I don't give them authority is this one simple reason. I know I'm not trustworthy to draw the line right in what to let in and what not to let in. Now that, that's a slightly different angle of this, I hope, for you. You know why I don't draw, I don't let, well, you know, we'll just read the Shepherd of Hermas, which was widely um, considered the last book not to get in the Bible. Right? The Shepherd of Hermas, widely considered... You know, it, the quality and the continuity of the Shepherd of Hermas is so bad in comparison to some of the books of the Bible, you start going, really, that's the last one to not get in? But the reason why I don't let it in is, once you let that one in, aren't there 55 of them standing in the wings going this, and pretty soon you're at I'm okay, you're okay? Or you're at the self-help book, and which one's the authority, and how do you draw that authority? It's the exact same thing that goes on with people that only read certain verses of the Bible and discount the other ones. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, well, I don't really like Paul very much, and so I don't read that part. Well, maybe they don't say it that way. They just go, well, I just, you know, Revelation scares me, so I don't read it. No, no, no. If you said that to me, I was not pointing at you at the moment because I've heard Revelation scares me from so many people that the number of people that have said that actual word to me would fill this room in the fellowship hall and we'd be packed in with shoehorns. The problem with that is this. You know the book of Revelation specifically says within itself that it's, there is an encouragement to believers? I had a seminary professor, a fairly famous one, used to say, if you read the Bible and it says this is what it's for and you're doing something else with it, you're using the Bible non-biblically. It's there to encourage you. If you're not encouraged, you're not reading it right. That's an interesting thought, isn't it, on the book of Revelation? It needs to be an encouragement. But here's the thing. The same person that says, I don't listen to all the Bible, I only read these parts of it, is, this, is making the same mistake that those that let everything in 
And that mistake is this, in my opinion. Okay, this is an opinion. I'm the authority here and I get to choose. And the reason why I don't do that and why I've sort of really held a line here is specifically because I know that deep inside myself, without Jesus' help, I'm not super trustworthy. Now you might think of me as trustworthy, and I thank you for that. That's a sign that Jesus is alive in me. And I hope that he holds me this way. But they were doing the same thing. Let's listen to these 400 prophets. Now are these the 400 that survived um, Elijah earlier at Mount Carmel? We don't know. They might, he might just have found 400 other yes men to do that. You know, why don't I consult the one who we know talks to the Lord? Because he doesn't tell me what I want to hear. But I know once he does it, just want to think about this for a second from the other side, from the two sons' perspective, which one did the obedience of the Lord? Jehoshaphat, good on you for asking, isn't there a prophet of, of, of God here? But then he prophesies death. And then you go? Well, you know, I already said my verses are your verses. And, you know, we'll just go, it'll be all right. He only said that that king would die. I mean, what are you doing? Do you see this in your own life? When God hits a reset button? When maybe you've had a night, and I, and I, and I don't know of anybody here in this room who's done this, that has had so much to drink that your head hurts in the morning? <laughs> How many times do you have to know, go through that to understand that that's a withdrawal symptom of what, what the alcohol has done to your body and that now your head hurts because it's missing something that it had the night before? Whether withdrawal or depletion of the chemicals that it took to get rid of the alcohol in your body. Who's the authority in your life? Who has the power to hit a reset button in your life? Ahab is, is, is the poster child for walking through stop signs. If there was anybody that ever just took some warnings and just kept going. He's the poster child. But there's some others. I mean, Jehoshaphat is listed as one of the good kings of Israel. And he goes through a stop sign too. And so there's no need for us to poke fingers or point at Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat or Ahab and say You're, they're evil but we're good because each of us somewhere along the line has a stop sign that we've walked through that we we were in the sheepfold and or we were in the pasture and we thought that the, the dandelion on the other side of the fence needed eating <laughs> just needed eating it was other it's it's a sign to me that I should be in the other field And then there was another one. And pretty soon, I'm 400 yards away, and the wind's blowing a little bit, and you can't hear the shepherd's voice. You've wandered off. You've become, I've become, Ahab's become, Jehoshaphat has become. We, like sheep, have gone astray. And I know I'm jumping out of the text today to deal with this, but this is something that I felt like we needed to deal with. How many stop signs will you run through in your life 
before you recognize that maybe your decision-making prowess, and I use that word on purpose, your prowess, you are so good at making decisions that maybe you ought to listen to God for a little bit. And then when he says, "Uh uh-uh, or he gives you the, uh, the V8 moment, right? And could have had a V8. There's another little implication in the text that I want to talk about a little bit. Ramath Gilead is part of Israel that was supposed to be within Israel. It was supposed to be given back, but it's still part of Aram. Should we go fight for it? Well, let me jump into this little implication for us in our personal lives. Is there a part of your life that's supposed to be part of your life that you've kind of given up because the dandelion in the other direction kind of called your name? And so you weren't nearby to hear all the instructions of the Lord, right? Now, I've coached baseball in the wind. I know how hard it is to hear in left field from the dugout. You know, you're, you're going to be close by. Use a golf analogy. I hear people talk to their golf ball all the time as it's going the wrong direction. <laughs> I, I say this. If you're going to talk to it, you've got to talk to it when it's nearby. You can't hear you out there. You've got to stick nearby. Is there a part of your life that you've given up because you went the wrong direction? Is there part of what the church has given up because it didn't hear the voice of the Lord? Now here's a little example. I'm not I'm not pointing fingers, okay? I just have I just have a concern for evangelism. And some of you know that. I have a concern that that all of the people of God hear that the Lord is good. And when I say all the people of God, I want to say it this way. Okay, are you ready? The whole people of God is all that have come to God and all who will. It's not just all who have. So there are people nearby you that might, that haven't. And somewhere along the line, they've got to hear something about Jesus. Now, you don't bring Jesus to them. You show Jesus in your life. Now, that's a fine distinction, isn't it? Are you in control of Jesus? Do do you make him do this stuff? No. He's just in you, informing your life, changing your life. You are not who you used to be. And the people nearby you see that, and that's how you share Jesus. You know, I was not very good at this not so long ago. Now God has really changed my life. Would you like to meet here? Let me introduce you. You're you're not their Savior. You can't do any of that. There's no reason to come trumping in there like the Savior yourself, because you're not. God didn't give you a red cape and a, with an S on your chest. Maybe, maybe your parents did when you were younger for Halloween, but that was a costume, and you saw how that worked out for Ahab. Right? It didn't really work out for him. He was not any good at it. But God has called us to be his people, to be salt in the world, to be light, to, to go to the places where he sends us that are part of our territory, even when we don't always know about it as our territory. Do you know where your territory is? I don't. I don't know where mine is. I just try to turn left when he tells me to turn left. I'm not very good at it. I try. 
trying to make a plan. Now, I'm horrible at that. But God has people around me that are good at it, and so I trust that. Those of you who've asked me a question about what, what I'm doing this afternoon, what's my standard response? <laughs> Talk to Karen. She's got a plan. It's going to work. I know I'm not any good at it. That's part of God's provision for me. We do this thing where we listen to our shepherd, that we don't walk away from our shepherd. We don't interpose our own authority on, on the process. We listen. We're within the sound of our vo his voice. We don't fool ourselves very long. Now, I would say we don't ever fool ourselves, but guess what? We do. Just be honest, right? Go ahead and accept it that you will try to fool yourself into saying something that's bad is good in your life and something that's good is bad. You will do that. That's why you need authority outside yourself. The position from where you judge, from the position from where you decide is not as fully integrated into the world as you think it is. That the Lord is, and he calls. May you hear the voice of your shepherd, and when you hear it, answer. Respond. Pause. Take a breath. Think about it. Don't become sheep without a shepherd. And just spend your time discerning your obedience within yourself and not worrying about everybody else at the moment. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for yesterday too, and I hope for tomorrow. May we be your people and hear your voice and tune tuned to your channel. 